my goodness, has it been a while. I've not yet found the right balance between mixing in poetry and independent reading in my classroom, but these contributions inevitably cost me time. Time planning, time doing in-class activities, time engaging the students in thoughtful writing outside of class. All this time adds up, and when the second semester gets going, I inevitably realize that I've fallen behind. But I continue to value poetry and independent reading too much to remove them from my classroom. So I'll keep spinning these too many plates for a while yet. After a significant pause, more than two months, sadly. Thank you for joining me for episode number 60. Our last poem was Mercy from Rudy Francisco, a poem that explored the choices made by people in power and how those choices can hurt those that have none. Francisco was himself responding to the poem Allowables by Nikki Giovanni, which showed a speaker acting with deadly violence out of fear. These confrontations between individuals and apparent opposition have begun to feel a bit like a thread, a thread I wanted to extend to one final poem, which is Joy Harjo's This Morning I Pray for My Enemies. First, however, we need to get back to Rudy Francisco and Mercy. Here's the poem, read by me this time. To hear the excellent reading by Stephen Potts, please take a listen to the previous episode. Mercy by Rudy Francisco After Nikki Giovanni She asked me to kill the spider. Instead, I get the most peaceful weapons I could find. I take a cup and a napkin. I catch the spider, put it outside, and allow it to walk away. If I'm ever caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, just being alive and not bothering anyone, I hope I am greeted with the same kind of mercy. Now, the secret passphrase for last episode was vulnerable in some form, and this word influenced a number of responses, or so I think it makes sense to start there. The student wrote that rather than only acting on impulse, as we saw the speaker of allowables do, the speaker almost imagines himself as the spider, a small and vulnerable creature. Another adds that all the speaker wants is to be given a chance to live when he is in a vulnerable situation. This question about vulnerability and what that means is explored with structure a little bit as well, with a student pointing to the poem's use of enjambment, pretty regular enjambment, in fact, by writing that enjambment by ending with just being alive, that line, no punctuation at the end, it made the readers really think deeply about what being alive actually means. Another writes that the poem uses enjambment to show a quiet, vulnerable perspective. The student kind of suggests that the enjambments are opportunities to pause, to reflect, and then to continue. I wonder if they mean that it's kind of an intuitive, unstated pause. I like that idea. Another writes that when compared to the poems we have looked at in the past, this poem doesn't have the same amount of imagery nor length because it is trying to make a clear but important point. 
This student suggests that the structural simplicity of the poem actually aids in the delivery of the poem's message. And one final comment about enjambment. A student pointed to the enjambment of lines 2 and 3 that end, instead I get the most peaceful weapons I can find. And they say that this example shows the importance of the narrator's decision of getting peaceful weapons. And later, in lines 5 and 6, I catch the spider, put it outside, and allow it to walk away. This suggests that this division gives the spider the opportunity to escape, but also to pause and reflect. In this bit of enjambment, we are separating the spider, the actor, the escape. Very cool. I love this. Now, a number of students uh, found this use of peaceful weapons especially interesting and explored that a little bit. One writes, The speaker takes the side of a spider to give readers an insight into what it must be feeling during a near-death experience, and that these peaceful weapons, they're a juxtaposition. Peaceful means pleasant and conflict-flee, but weapons are known for their violence and are used for inflicting bodily harm. Now, the reason for this juxtaposition is not specifically stated, but it's a great observation. I wonder why we have it. Elsewhere, a student writes, The text hints at the idea that hurting or moving a spider is similar to using weapons on a person, showing how vulnerable all creatures are, including humans. Another writes, and I'm going to go ahead and quote a somewhat lengthy passage here, because there's a lot of good stuff. The speaker uses symbolism to emphasize that one should not threaten another organism if it does not mean harm. The spider is a symbol of vulnerability in the poem. The speaker is shown as having the ability to kill the spider and control it as desired. Being weak and helpless, the spider cannot hurt the speaker in this situation. And it's these peaceful weapons the speaker has that symbolize peace and suggest that they can positively help the spider instead of causing harm to it. It shows that the speaker cares for the spider. And as a side note for me, that seems to make all the difference. Caring about that vulnerable individual. Now, that's a great, fairly lengthy response that I've quoted, but there's a number of them in here. Uh, and I'm not surprised. Students had a lot of clever, thoughtful ideas to explore in response to this poem, and I just had the hardest time cutting them down. And so you're going to hear a few that I quote at length. And at this point, when we start thinking about the spider and the speaker as the vulnerable and those with power, as we start thinking about those peaceful weapons, this is where students started to get into a social commentary about the world that we live in and not just the way we interact with those that wander into our homes. One student writes that letting the speaker outside like this, it shows how you don't always have to immediately resort to aggression in response to something you are not comfortable with. These peaceful weapons emphasize the tools used to solve the problem in a more positive way rather than just stomping on the spider with her feet. It's not just that fact of being nice to animals and insects and anthropods that we share the world with, but 
also to our fellow human beings in our own home. And then we build on this. Another student writes that, that this poem may be related to prejudice, but did not really explore this idea further. Now, I don't give a lot of context for who the speakers are usually. I'd like students to exist in the poem itself, and I sometimes think that that is a mistake. But it does allow students to explore a text with their own context in mind and not reach for assumptions about others. And in this case, Rudy Francisco's experience relates to that idea as a black man in America, and students picked up on this, I think at least a little bit, by their own view of the world. So building on this question of prejudice, as a student to write that the allusion to Nikki Giovanni's poem and killing because someone is scared shows that people need to be more merciful to those who are different, be it an insect or even a person who looks different. And at length, another student writes, the spider has not done anything harmful, yet it receives hatred just for being alive which is true through police brutality and racism in the real world. As in Giovanni's poem, the theme of mercy is that assumptions should never be made about anyone, and harming a person when they have done nothing negative is wrong. Both speakers think about the spider as if it were human, and this little act of hatred or kindness can apply to the real world and humanity itself. It's delightful. It's very thoughtful. It connects this poem to the world that we live in, as I believe the author was very likely intending. A student writes that this is a poem that expresses vulnerability, especially when just being alive, when caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. It is easy to feel vulnerable when someone says you're in the wrong and you don't know what's going to happen. A longer response from another student says that in the poem Mercy by Rudy Francisco, the speaker reveals that great power must not blind one from the vulnerability of others. The speaker was put into a position of power, however. Instead of abusing this power and using their high status as an excuse, they disregard their level of strength and show mercy. When great power is presented, says this student, one must learn to disregard their high status and instead show empathy. Another builds on this idea, saying that Francisco explores the titular value through building upon Laura Hershey's allowables, to contrast with the brutality of allowables, but also hints at something much more tragic. The poem speaker dedicates the whole latter half of the poem to pleading for his act of kindness to be returned. But we don't get any more than that. We don't know if it will be. The big ideas of this poem mattered. And I wanted to close with students exploring kind of the lessons, the themes we should take away from it. In Rudy Francisco's poem, Mercy, Francisco does an effective job of portraying a complex emotion, vulnerability, through an ordinary situation. Another writing, the poem ends with not bothering anyone. Hope I am greeted with the same kind of mercy, which shows how the spider's vulnerability can be taken for granted and can result in it being killed. It conveys a significant message through an ordinary, relatable experience, and it was achieved through the usage of a common feeling, the vulnerability. Finally, student writes that the thing we should take away from this poem is that it is essential to have morals and to respect things that aren't harming you 
or can't fight back. My goodness. Uh, if there's one thing I miss uh, when these episodes come out with great gaps in them, it is this. It is seeing all these great thoughts and this way of connecting material with a modern moment and using it to arrive at big ideas about power and vulnerability and generosity and empathy and just exploring those. Thank goodness. Students are brilliant, I'm telling you. Now, our previous writing task was an essential element in the writer's toolkit, variety. Last time, I had students create variety by ensuring that no sentences started the same way. This is not a hard and fast rule for variety, but it is a good consideration. If you can create a more dynamic piece of writing by avoiding this kind of repetition, isn't it worth considering? It isn't always possible, I admit. Sometimes we need or want to repeat the opening of a sentence or two. In fact, in class we talked about how anaphora can be used to be do just that. Thankfully, though, this isn't the only way to create variety. This week, we will attempt to create variety in another way, by creating variations in the length of our sentences. I want students to use two kinds of sentences. The first is called a telegraphic sentence, a very brief sentence of five words in length or fewer. The second kind of sentence is a complex sentence, which we have practiced in class. These are the ones that have one independent clause and one dependent clause. Reminder, dependent clauses start with subordinating conjunctions, such as because, however, although, while, and a bunch more. I'll include a link that talks about them, actually, if you want some further help or reference. And a quick note. I want you to put asterisks around both your telegraphic and complex sentences to make it clear to me which sentences you wrote to complete this task. By the way, the asterisk is the symbol above the eight on the keyboard. It looks like a star. Now, for the secret passphrase, I want you to use some form of the word oppose. Opposed or opposing are fine, as is opposition or oppositional. There's a lot of varieties for this one. Before we get to the poem, one more note. It is all one stanza, and there is no enjambment here. It's almost weird at this point to see all those lines end with punctuation like that, isn't it? I wonder what's up there. There's also some fun figurative stuff happening in this poem, if anyone cares to explore it. We've got personification, where we treat something that isn't a person as though it has human qualities, and there's some crazy figurative comparisons happening in here, too. I look forward to seeing what you can do with it. This week's poem is read by Zoe Malia Luz, a friend of poet Michael Dubon. Here is This Morning I Pray for My Enemies by Joy Harjo. This Morning I Pray for My Enemies Poem by Joy Harjo, 1951 And whom do I call my enemy? An enemy must be worthy of engagement. I turn in the direction of the sun and keep walking. It's the heart that asks the question, not my furious mind. The heart is the smaller cousin of the sun. It sees and knows everything. 
it hears the gnashing even as it hears the blessing. The door to the mind should only open from the heart. An enemy who gets in risks the danger of becoming a friend. Students, be sure to use the word oppose in some form and ensure there is a variety by using both a telegraphic and complex sentence. Remember, telegraphic, less than five words, complex, independent clause, plus dependent clause. You should also keep in mind our previous writing tasks, such as using the poet's last name by itself once you've used the full name, using short quotations and fitting multiple short quotations in a single sentence, and maybe even using literary devices like imagery with an adjective before them. Maybe diction or syntax, we talked about these. If you explore personification or metaphor, though, no adjective before them is needed. These are specific enough devices on their own. A small favor, though, try to really explore your evidence. I love your great ideas, but sometimes you don't reveal them fully with detailed commentary. If you've got a great idea, or a well-selected piece of evidence, or you identify a bit of juxtaposition, take a few sentences, polish that idea properly. That is how you make good, those good ideas shine. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like the class to direct their eyes toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LeidenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 60 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent. <laughs>